Welcome to the Situation Report, dedicated to bringing you news and information from the front lines of the war at home to save veteran lives. The Situation Report is brought to you by the One Fight Foundation, committed to ending the veteran suicide epidemic in America that claims 22 lives each day. We know veterans because we are veterans. And now, the Situation Report with your host, Adam Bonatai. And welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Adam Bonatai, from The Situation Report. Back again one more time with Dr. Kelly Nabel from the Allentown Veterans Affairs Clinic. Welcome one more time, Dr. Nabel. Thank you. And you started to get on a real roll last week when you started talking about mental health. Well, obviously mental health. It's your passion, obviously. But suicide specifically. And as you know, that's what we are trying to combat uh, here at the One Fight Foundation. So I want to I get more into that. Um, and the, the biggest thing is uh, the statistics show, the data shows that veterans are at a higher risk for suicide and, and unfortunately completing successful, successfully completing suicide at a higher rate than their civilian counterparts. But there doesn't seem to be a definitive cause for that one overlying reason. There seems to be a number of possibilities or risk factors. Um, what are your thoughts on, based on your, your education, your experiences in dealing with veterans? What, what things are putting veterans uh, at this risk and why are they taking their own lives at such a rate, uh, greater rate than their civilian counterparts? Well, I think that this is a highly, highly complex issue. And I think that's perhaps larger than the scope of this interview. But okay. just to give you my thoughts, one reason is clearly lack of treatment for mental health conditions such as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. So we talked about female veterans before. Uh, mm-hmm. Female veterans are about six times more likely than their civilian counterparts to commit suicide. So one reason may be, you know, that exposure to military sexual trauma and subsequent PTSD in addition to combat trauma. Uh, another might be the method utilized, so the lethality of the method, so versus a gun being highly lethal okay. versus maybe pills and civilian um, completers or attempters of suicide. Mm. I know that OEF and OAF veterans are committing suicide at a much higher rate than the other generation of veterans at present, so they're really a target of the VA, as are all veterans, but we have an eye on them as well in trying to try to recruit them in for treatment. Perhaps, what, why perhaps. is that, in, in your opinion? What, what, what about this newer generation? Because, and I, I'm a part of that generation, but it still mm-hmm. kind of boggles my mind that mm-hmm. uh, this generation is, with all that we have available compared to, you know, you can look at the Vietnam veterans who came home to a country that wasn't as accepting. I mean, here we have so much support for the post 9-11 generation. And we, when I think back to, the, you know, the World War II veterans, none of these things existed as far as the the just the diagnoses themselves. I mean, I hear stories about, oh, I was told it was shell shock and to just get on with my life. Now we have recognized mental health conditions being diagnosed by multiple professionals such as yourself, providing you know many different layers of treatment and therapy. So why, when we seem to be at an all-time high of awareness, are we also at a, you know a somewhat an all-time high of suicide then? And I'm, I'm not expecting you to have the magical answer, by the way. I'm just, just trying to get your thoughts. Good. Well, I think, I I just think that, you know, one reason, and this goes to all veterans and and people in general with PTSD is, so 
some people are masking their symptoms with drug and alcohol, you know, especially when people first come home to, from deployment. Um, you don't want to think about it. You know, you're reeling, you know, even even just coming back and acclimating to civilian life might be what the focus is, you know, just trying to get back and reintegrate with your family and friends. You know, um, sometimes there's that inclination to withdraw instead. You know, the tendency to want to attempt to avoid your painful memories or your emotions by maybe working instead. So maybe people come back and just jump into a job. Um, or, you know, maybe you come back and you're so emotionally or physically disabled or de- deep, um, incapacitated that you can't work. And then that becomes, you know, unbearable, you know, comparing to the person that you were just maybe a year prior, or two mm. years prior. Another factor can be lack of social support. You know, that's a huge risk factor when you don't have any kind of social support. Sometimes the spouses leave, um, you know, there's all kinds of factors that might be. So, so it sounds playing. like it's a it's a tightrope that needs to be walked when someone comes home, in that we need to get them out and in society, reintegrated, active, doing things. But we don't want them to become too immersed and start avoiding things, as you said. And uh, so, it seems like a very difficult line. I'm right. sure. It, I'm sure it changes too with everybody. What you know, obviously, with what one person can handle, what, what what's too much for one person is not enough for another. I suppose. <laughs> Um, right, but I, and I think that I think that's a good point. A tightrope is a good analogy to use, and I think that you know the bottom line is that you know that avoidance that inevitably occurs with with PTSD. Like I said, it's a poor symptom. You know, it can be tempting to avoid because it works in the short term. If you try mm-hmm. to push something away, it does it does provide some symptom relief. The problem is it comes flooding back sometimes, um, especially when it comes with drugs and alcohol. You know, you can mm-hmm. you know you can numb the emotions, but there's a whole host of other problems that occur with that. So like, like you said, you know, you can work in the short term, you can, you you can work, but still, still address the issues and and addressing the trauma is going to be necessary, uh, regardless of when you, when you actually engage in the treatment. So it it sounds like I was going to, I asked you a little bit earlier about what you would advise us to do. And you gave some, some broad recommendations that I thought you were great. Uh, kind of just encourage us to get guys out, uh, guys and girls out. And that seems to especially hold true for for suicide uh, risk then, because I, I acknowledge not everybody we come across by any means uh, with, with our foundation is at risk for suicide. Our, our whole thought is we want to prevent that. Um, and I'm sure that's that's likewise with you. you. Not everybody you treat in mental health is a suicide risk. Some folks just right. need a little bit of encouragement. So the overwhelming thing that we need to do is to get people to just swallow their pride and get out and make that first step to reach care, reach support, whether it's a peer support network at the VA, whether it's clinical support through yourself or a psychiatrist or someone or a nonprofit group like us. I even was involved a little bit not too long ago with the Leatherneck Motorcycle Club, which I wanted to try and talk to them and about getting involved with us more. And then I thought, this is a big motorcycle club with like hundreds of members. Like They're their own peer support network. They just don't realize it. Right. Um, so it sounds like what we, we all need to do is just keep getting guys and girls to, like I said, swallow their pride and just take that first step. Because it seems once that first step is made, uh, we're seeing far more success. Um, and I actually read a study. I don't know if you were aware. The uh, chief of psychiatry at the Philadelphia VA uh, was kind enough to speak to me about it and then actually printed out the study for me that showed just how successful the VA is in their treatment of mental health that showed uh, the from 2000 to 2010, uh, the rate of suicide, and then from 2010 on, and the 
rates totally reversed in that those that had access to VA care were originally pre-2010 at a higher rate. And now since 2010, there's been a dramatic drop off in the rate of suicide attempts and completions from veterans seeking care at the VA. And it just really goes to show that the renewed effort you guys are putting into preventing this this epidemic and, and fighting this fight against it, just how successful it is. And, and that should build trust. I think we have a little bit of lack of trust in the VA uh, today. But uh, and, and whether that's warranted or not is up for the individual to decide. However, you can't dispute these facts that right now, today, the evidence shows folks that are going and seeing you guys are doing far better off than those who are not. Um, so congratulations as you're a part of that victory. Um, Thank you. And I want to end on a, on a happier note. Uh, I just want to ask you what your favorite part about working with veterans is. Of all the things you do, what stands out the most? Because it's a pretty unique job you have and pretty unique group of people you deal with. I think laughing. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of uh, tense moments, there's plenty of tears, but there's plenty of laughter too. So I'm someone who has a unique sense of humor, so a lot of them get it, too, yeah. <laughs> which is positive. So I get to laugh a lot today, you know, at, at work as well. Good, good, good. Yeah, veterans <laughs> have a, certainly a unique sense of humor is one way of putting it. And uh, I got to say, it, it it's got to be welcoming for these these folks to be making jokes and and have you laughing at them makes them feel like uh, back when they were in uniform and being understood again. That's that's great. And oh no, they're laughing at me. Oh, they're laughing at you. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's what I mean. That's that's My just as good. Laughing at. That's just as good then. <laughs> I that's, think it's even better. Yeah. Except <laughs> I'm um, laughing at me. <laughs> you have uh, humor therapy, comedy therapy, or something. Right. Is a, Part a, of a it. Not approach. all of it. Not all of it. Yeah. Not all of it. Not. You have your serious side. I know. Uh, and, and lastly, if you had one message, this is your moment. I ask everyone before they, before they leave the show, uh, if they have one message for veterans out there, anything at all they want to say uh, to reach all our veterans that are listening, what would you want to tell them today? Well, I would say, you know, not only to the veterans, but just like the general public, you know, because there are people who know veterans, too. I think that the, you know, people that are family members that might not might see a veteran struggling and not know what to do as well. Uh, what I would say to them first is that if you know a veteran that's in need of mental health or medical treatment, but please encourage them to come to the VA and seek treatment. And I would also tell them to be supportive but persistent because that avoidance can be so appealing because it does work in the short term. And that if you see the veteran is in crisis, I want to I wanted to give the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Outstanding. Yeah, please go ahead and list that number. And before she even does, we're going to put this uh, this number in the show notes so you can refer to it, write it down, save it in your phone, pass it on to a friend, anything like that. The, the suicide prevention number coming at you right now is? 1-800-273-8255. And then you would press one to reach the veterans crisis line. Great. And then what I wanted to say to the veterans is that there is help available. And though it may be tempting at times, avoiding the problems, unfortunately, doesn't help them go away. And in fact, it makes them get worse in the long term. And I know that it's not easy to face the problems. Um, there is a number of treatment options available that you can decide upon that you have an option in your treatment that you can decide upon with your treatment provider and that you would just call or go into your local VA for more information. 
All right. Dr. Kelly Nabel, everyone, thank you so much for coming on. We were really looking forward to having you. I thought no this problem. was a great episode, a lot of great information, a lot of great insight uh, that only someone in your position could provide for us. So thank you so much for what you do, uh, and, and please pass it on to your colleagues. Thank them for what they do, and, and keep doing what you guys do. I will do. Thank you so much. You're welcome, everyone. That is Dr. Kelly Nabel from the Allentown VA Clinic. And that concludes this week's episode. We'll be coming back at you next week with more news and insight from the battle against veteran suicide here in America. Until then, this is Adam Bonatai from the One Fight Foundation telling you to follow us on Twitter, numeral One Team One Fight, on Facebook, One Fight Foundation, and on the web, OneFightFoundation.org. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Situation Report with Adam Bonatai. Visit OneFightFoundation.org or follow the One Fight Foundation on Facebook to learn more about how you can join the fight. Help put an end to veteran suicide. One life and one fight at a time. OneFightFoundation.org This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Steve Mittman social media.com.